Welcome back to the podcast. And I'm excited to finally get this episode out to you. I think I recorded it now like six weeks ago. And I recorded this before I rescinded my resignation. So there's a little bit where I talk about me leaving. But actually, I cut some of it out. But I decided to keep most of it because we talk about the idea of transition and leaving one assignment and going to a next. And my guess is there are some of you who are either currently going through that or you will be going through that or you just went through that uh, and transitioning from one assignment to another and processing that grief is important. So we spent some time talking about it. She, Chris Speckert, uh, who I interview in this episode, has a new assignment herself. She is currently the lead pastor at Table Life Church. Uh, It is a Nazarene church, and she's in Pennsylvania. So we talk about leaving well. We talk about APES, so apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. And we also talk about the idea of being a permission giver and giving people permission to experiment be innovative, creative, try new things, but also failing. And right now, more than ever, we need permission to try new things and also permission to fail. Uh, And so I want you to be encouraged by this episode. I hope that you're encouraged and inspired to try some new things as we move into the new year, experiment, take some risks. They don't have to be humongous risks. You can take baby steps towards a risk uh, if you are more risk adverse than others, you know, and you don't have to jump off of the cliff, uh, but, you know, you could try climbing one. That would be really cool. Uh, I would love to find out what you try in the new year. Please send me a DM or Chris and let us know that you tried something new. And if it failed, we'll celebrate with you. And if it succeeded, we will also Uh, rejoice with you. Anyway, check out Fresh Expressions. We talk about that. She was on staff at Fresh Expressions as well. So I'm going to put that in the show notes. That's all I have for you. Enjoy the episode. I have a couple new ones coming up that I just recorded today. And hey, shoot me a DM if there's something, some specific topic you would like me to talk about in the new year, or if there's someone you want me to interview, shoot me a message. In the meantime, enjoy the episode. We've been trying to tell better stories about women and clergy and the church because we really need to tell better stories. Instead of just complaining about it, what if we flood the airwaves with something different? Welcome to the podcast. It's been it's been great to watch your ministry and, and follow it a little bit. Your first assignment, was your first assignment a church plant? Well, so long story short, when I first felt called to ministry, I was serving at a like non or I wasn't serving. I was um, attending a non-denominational church where the associate pastor was part of like the church of the Nazarene and, um, but he was not in serving the denomination and all. So I felt called to ministry and was like trying to figure that out. And then he actually became my mentor and he felt called to plant a church in the building of a dying church. And so I was a part of that team that went there to get that started at real life chapel. Um, so that was my first, I guess, like ministry experience. I was where I was like first licensed and one thing led to another. So, so yeah, so cool. that was the start of it. So he came out of the non-denominational, went back into the Nazarene church. Okay. Yeah. It's a plant. Yeah. The plant. Yeah. It's because mm-hmm. it's every, every non-denominational church is different. Some of them right. recognize women clergy. Some of them don't. And yeah, so, this one didn't. So yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah so that was part thing. of it. And he did. And um, I mean, it was mainly, uh, I went to the senior pastor to say, what is this I'm experiencing? That kind of thing. And he's like, go home and pray. And, yeah. um, and the associate pastor who then uh, became the planter and my mentor, of course, he you know embraced women in ministry and leadership. Right. So how long were you there then before you went to your next assignment? So Real Life Chapel, we launched in 2008. So, um, and then I went to seminary, I moved 
from Eastern Maryland to the DC area was it, May of 2010. So about two, we were about two years old when I kind of took that next step in ministry and, and just <laughs> fell feet into seminary yeah. life. And, um, and then during that time I served at um, Herndon United Methodist Church, United Methodist Church in Northern Virginia. Virtual, or did you do the cohort thing? How no, no, this, yeah, this was an MDiv. So, um, so it was all in per, well, not all in person. We had some online classes, but um, it was on campus in, in DC at Wesley Theological Seminary, commuted and then was got to serve at the church during that while I was going to school. So that was, which was a great experience and everything. Um, yeah. I mean, with its up and ups and downs, of course, but just really boots on the ground doing stuff. And I started the young adult ministry there and really discipleship and, and that kind of thing at that, in that chapter. Yeah. So you've had your feet in a few then different Wesleyan denominations. So mm-hmm. yeah, sure. Green and the UM church. Yeah. And briefly and- in a Baptist church too. <laughs> As the youth pastor, <laughs> not Southern Baptist, I'm guessing. No, American. No. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Once you got ordained, then where did you go? Because you did you go back into the? You obviously went back into the Nazarene Church. Yeah, and um, so then I served on loan though with the Methodists once again. I when I when I was in seminary, I was still had my membership at my home church and that kind of thing, right. you know, nothing ever really transferred since I was in the process. Um, but then I was like on loan, I guess, or special assignment with the Methodist church in Virginia. And so right. I joined them to plant. So I became part of a church that was going to plant a church and was there. Um, we kind of had to, like, it was like a church planter training program. So the idea was you would be integrated in the existing congregation with the goal of kind of learning the DNA and that kind of thing, as well as beginning to recruit people to be a part of your team. And so That's I cool. was there. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great strategy because it really, mm-hmm. you really develop those relationships. And also it's just very intentional instead of just saying, Hey, we're going to send somebody good luck. Have fun. Um, there's right. just a huge investment in the sponsor in the mother church in that for me, as well as for those that were going to be a part of it. Yeah. So I was considered like on staff there, but everybody knew that I was going to plant, like it wasn't like a secret or anything. So were you there for like a year or something mm-hmm. and yeah. then, and then you went and planted. And so where did you plant? Yeah. And then, so we just planted six miles down the road. In oh, that's building. good. Yeah. Yeah. So like our thing was, was calling really was about planting in buildings of churches that were either dying or closed. Yeah. Um, not a, not like a restart because we weren't mm-hmm. starting with anybody there, but we right. were kind of resurrecting the resources, the building, the facilities, the location, kind of breathing new life. So that was a process in and of itself because we were kind of, it was kind of like dating, you know, but like there's so many dying churches, uh, a lot that are just struggling and know that they don't have much time left. Right. And the pastor even knows they're not going to change. It's like, this is just not going to work. So we like basically dated my team and I, we dated like four of them and tried to figure out which is the best, like, which is a good fit. And, um, because they didn't actually close in this situation, they were still going to continue what they were doing, but we would basically become the best analogy is probably like, you know, grandma's been living in her house for a long time, but grandma's not able to provide for herself. So you move in and it's now your house. Right. Um, And grandma happens to still live there, but it's, you own the house. Now you're paying the bills, you're having people over, um, all of that kind of stuff. So, so that was, that was kind of the the piece that happened with that. So the one church uh, seemed to be a good fit. And so we had a kind of uh, two congregations meeting there, ours being the plant and theirs being what we call the legacy congregation. That's a great strategy and a great analogy. I've never heard it worded that way. We did something similar. <laughs> it's very uncomfortable, <laughs> just like moving into grandma's house too. It is. Yeah. We yes. did something similar, but it was totally not intentional. Like it just, <laughs> we kind of stumbled across it in the community where we planted. There are so many churches there that it was getting harder because they couldn't afford to give up any more tax 
land, you know, mm. any, any more um, right. property tax. So we just originally called them to be like, can we just use your building in the afternoon? You know, we just need space. And they happened to be meeting at one or two, one o'clock in the afternoon because they were sharing a pastor. So the pastor would preach at one congregation in the morning and then come there and preach in the afternoon. So we ended up taking over the morning slot, you know? Wow. And so we kind of did the same thing after, you know, a year or so bought the building and continued to have a second service for them. That was more traditional, what they were used to. Um, right. So then we preached, preached two services and then eventually they, we all became one congregation, but a great way. And I do think it's nice because you're, they're already familiar with some kind of a spiritual presence in the community. So it's not like you're going and completely starting new ground, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And for us, the, the beautiful thing was they had a preschool and oh, nice. none of the families were connected at all. There was actually a preschool and a childcare. So on a daily basis, there were 80 children plus teachers, plus parents. And it was just an underutilized connection and resource. And so th those relationships with those families were just crucial. Most of them were not a part of a church and of course didn't go to theirs, go to that one. And so that was its own kind of mission field uh, was, was those families and the schools really, um, which it was just a beautiful thing. It's just right there, you know, just right. use it right there. Yeah. Yeah. And they're yeah. already like in the building and they know the mm -hmm. area and they live in the community. And, um, but there was just such a disconnect between them and the existing congregation. Yeah. Now, how long were you at, how long were you there? You planted, uh, two and a half, two and a half years. Yeah. After I planted. So it was actually like a year and a half when I was at like our mother church. And then from getting a team and starting the process and then launching, like that was another like year or so. Mm -hmm. And then like another two and a half years. So it was probably about five total with the whole, you know, the, the okay. whole, but the yes. plan was about, was about two and a half. Yeah. I am curious since I'm doing this right now, I'm like, I planted <laughs> and now I'm leaving. Yeah. Um, it's so hard. I tell it you. It is so hard. <laughs> yeah. It is so hard. It is really hard. And yes. uh, it's really hard for my spouse. So, but it's right. that handing it off to somebody else part. Like even sure. if he could, even if he could handpick the person, it wouldn't matter. Right. He'd still be like, oh, we have to let go, you know? You do, um, yeah. And, and of course, for the people who are listening, who are familiar with the way we do it, right? Like you don't usually have a hand at all in the transition process. So, right. and there are some denominations and I know that there are some exceptions to the rule, even in yeah. our denomination where succession you have a succession plans. plan, that kind of stuff dealing it's not just processing the part of you leaving it's mm -hmm. also processing like like I could like you gotta not just trust God with your future you have to trust God with their future also yeah yep and I think we well this is my so this is my first time doing I mean I left another the assignment I left before that I was a staff pastor and I went to plant so and it's different yeah that was different a different experience so yeah this is my first time experiencing this piece which is so maybe just talk about your own journey. How, how did you decide, okay, God is moving me to this new place and processing that, letting go of it and handing your, I mean, especially if you had five years invested in all of that, of handing that off to somebody else. And well, you don't know who it is. It's going to be the DS, right? And yeah, so it was, um, you know, truthfully, I mean, yeah, it was, it was super difficult and probably, yeah, one of the hardest decisions to make. But in our situation, so we were, our plant was still um, tethered to our sponsor church, our mother oh, church. Yeah. So there was never like a full separation. So we were still accountable to them, even though I had staff, like I was still being overseen. And so there was, and we were in like two very different communities, very different, one blue collar, one white collar, one mm -hmm. um, more economically disadvantaged, um, one very well off with multi-million dollar homes, um, one who close to a school, one not. So we just had different environments. And, um, and so there was, you know, kind of growing up a little bit and developing and connecting with people. 
there was a, while we were connected, there was a, like a bit of a vision clash and to say, just to you know, be honest about that, because I, I tend to invest more in the contextual ministry than yeah. replicating, you right. know? So, so there began to be just some pressure to replicate, you know, what was going on in one that should happen in the other and vice versa. And we should have the same things going on, uh, different what, uh, events, ministries, even, mm-hmm. even though, so that was just hard because, you know, I was like the leader, but I couldn't make the calls on that. Even if I felt like it was the right thing and the people, you know, understood that too. So that was a part of my like leaving type. Gotcha. Um, yeah, that was, that was a part of that because, because I knew that trying submitting to that authority, I, that was just, wasn't me that, that somebody else is called to that, mm-hmm. and, you know? And so while I was able to get things started, that meant that somebody else would do a better job of taking what was started and replicating what was happening at the mother church in that context. Yeah. So that, that's a hard thing is realizing like, you're not the person to do that. And you're not the person to take that church to where, you know, God is calling or, or, you know, the, the leadership feels like it is. Yeah. I understand that. And that is, they almost, it was almost like a second campus in a sense. Yeah. Right? Yeah. In a sense. Yeah. It, and, and I think that was part of the confusion was like, were we, were we not? So we, you know, we, we, we were doing things and changing things and, um, you know, having just many, just a different context and different people and families and kids. And it was hard to take what was going on someplace else and kind of put it on this group of people when that just didn't communicate with them or didn't connect or they didn't need. So that was, I guess, one of the values of kind of the, the overall church that, you know, they felt was just very important. I don't know if I, I didn't realize that, or we just weren't clear about that, that that's what right. was, was, um, was expected or going to have, but, but I was able to leave there with a great, great relationship before actually today, I just shared with you before we started recording about going to get a bounce house. And that was the church I got the bounce house from. Oh, nice. Yeah. They donated, donated it to us. They had a so, and we were able to like celebrate, catch up and take pictures. And um, so that's just a really neat thing too, when you can leave well and still have be in relationship and be in connection. And it's all part of the, the same kingdom, but it's still hard though. <laughs> it's so hard and you're emotionally invested yeah. and you care and you don't want things to sink. Um, right. But there does come a part that you have to let go. And, mm-hmm. um, and even for me, it was, you know, and I communicated to people ahead of time, like I'm no longer your pastor. There's going to be, because I want to pave the way for the next person right. and not, and people always say, Oh, remember how pastor Chris did whatever, like, mm-hmm. you know, and there are people who do that and they need to grieve. I don't want to get in the way from what God wants to, where God wants to take them next. So that was, it's really hard. It's just to say, I'm no longer pastor. Like I am not going to reach out to you. So don't take it personally if you don't hear from me. Like we're, you know, and Facebook and right. Instagram and all that, like TikTok now, um, yeah. like they all change that. So um, you can still kind of see what's happening without being like, so, you know, let me give so-and-so a call or, but like, I just, I tried to make some strict boundaries with that to give the, the guy who came in the ability to really bond and to become their pastor, you know, and I, unlike the Facebook page and like, so yeah. I wouldn't be tempted to be like, Oh, what are they doing now? Oh, right? I would have done it that way. Yeah. You can't do that. Yeah. You, and you have to know like yourself, like, I'm just not going to do that. I'm not going to visit their website. I'm not going to mm-hmm. listen to the sermons that are preached. I'm not going to look yeah. at the events they have scheduled. Like it is so hard. <laughs> like, you know, you do have to say goodbye at some point. Our sending church, we had a relationship with them for just a year. And mm-hmm. I knew right off the bat, I, like I told them, I'm like, if we're going to do this, I, we have to be our own entity because same thing, completely different context of yeah. where we are going and we're in the same city. So it seems like it should be the same, but it's not uh, socioeconomically. Yeah. It's just completely different community. And there were some who came who are part of our core team who I think thought we would be a junior version and then they realize we weren't and they're like, yeah, this isn't what we had signed up for, True. which is fine. You know, that's fine. 
they they gave us a year they were hands and feet for that first year to get our foundation underneath us so that was and I think that's okay I I don't I don't think we talk about that part enough when we when we talk about church planting that right there'll be a a group that will come with you and will help you launch but they won't stay with you they'll end up going back and actually we we structured it purposely that way so my my recruitment was that you're with us for a year and at the end of the year, that year, you decide whether you go back, whether you're moving, whether uh, you're staying, whether this is your church or whatever. So everybody had the first year, it was like, get us through the launch and the spring. And, and then we had a big like team meeting and celebration thing. You know, by that time, let me know what you got, what, what you're prayerfully doing. Yeah. And we had some people that were the scaffolding for that, that said, you know what? I was here to get things started. Uh, I live in a community that's like two communities further too, because we had people that were like missionaries like that. And they said, well, you know, we're going to go back and we bless them. We had some people that literally moved out of state um, to another country. Yeah, it was good. Uh, we're 11 years later. I think we have maybe three of our original. Yeah, it's um, funny. So yeah, yeah. I think even like, like two and a half years after I was there, like, to tell you the truth, I think even right now, there's maybe out of like a launch team, I think we had like 18 people. There might be two. Yeah. Like the rest have literally like, they don't even live in the area anymore, except for maybe one family. Well, we and we are a transient culture, you know, depending on where you live in the country, but really for our culture, for America anyway, we're pretty transient compared to some other places. So when did you get connected with the Fresh Expressions team? So that was actually, it was a kind of weird thing. Um, I was in seminary and serving at the Methodist church and of course still connected to my district and Atlantic and, and one of my mentors, someone who became a mentor worked for the district. He was on staff, you know, he and I were in communication a lot, just about all sorts of things. He had reached out to me and said, Hey, there's this thing that someone reached out to me about that um, is going on in your neck of the woods in Northern Virginia that uh, I'm going to, and why don't you come? So Fresh Expressions started in the UK. And of course, as Fresh Expressions of Church have been happening by themselves. Of course, that's the Holy Spirit's work. Right. The organization started in the UK and our, uh, the director of Fresh Expressions US at that time, he was trying to get things started in the United States as a like organization. And he had, his name is Chris too. And he had reached out to my mentor. He was reaching out to different denominational leaders. He reached out to my mentor to explain this thing that he wanted to get started and would be an interest in coming to what we call Vision Day and all of this. And my mentor had thought, for, at first he had thought it was me because our names are so similar. And then he realized it wasn't, but then he actually said, wow, that is something that Chris Beckert would be interested in. So I went and attended a vision day, connected with those guys, went up going to the national gathering and um, they found out I was a writer. So I began blogging and I did a, this was like before the time of um, stories. And I, I did like a live blog. Um, during the national gathering, during the conference and about oh, wow. what was happening and that kind of thing. And like, you know, this was like early 20 teens to like 2012, maybe. So then from there, they knew I was graduating seminary and figuring out where I was going. And, um, and in that, I knew that I would need like some part-time work. And I had an offer from this magazine that actually went up going under. So I'm glad it never took that. But they have said so Fresh Questions US approached me about coming on staff. Um, and at that time, there were three staff members and all like part time. And we were all in different places. And they said, Would you do like communications? And so I was a generalist. And so I said, Sure, I, you know, here I am, I just graduated seminary. And so I'm doing like the website, I'm teaching events. I'm writing things, I'm organizing events, making sure lunch is ordered, doing like whatever needs to be done. So we're kind of a scrappy little group at that <laughs> point, which is, yeah, kind of the startup phase, really. Right? The yeah. plant. So then of course, things just started to expand and grow. And so I was serving in that role for, I think about four years. 
and and then that's when I started to um, transition to become to plant the church. So and I knew I didn't have time to do that anymore. Yeah. It was self sufficient at that time without that extra income that way. So I then I transitioned from that communications role to to being a trainer. So still on staff, but basically mainly teaching and being a part of events as well as doing some development work. Been neat. So I can I can claim like I was there since like you know, the beginning of it almost. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's a cool. fun group though. The multi-denominations, um, we yeah. all get along. We're all rallied around the mission of Christ. It's beautiful. Someone introduced me. I think it was one of my professors. They had us read the shaping of things to come. Mm. Um, and which is what, I mean, it was just a huge paradigm shift for me. And I, I guess I didn't even realize that they had done, like I had heard fresh, fresh expressions before, but I didn't realize that it had become like I knew it was in the UK, but heavily come here and had this movement, which, uh, yeah. so I was really excited about that when I reconnected with that at the end of 2019. It's been great. I mean, we've been using the dinner church model um, out of my congregation and anyway, all of the, all of the different community on mission, whatever groups, community yeah. mission groups, the different models that people use awesome. any way that we can bring the kingdom to of heaven to earth, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's what I love about it is it's a both and it's not, mm -hmm. Hey, we throw away the established or traditional church, but that we use it as a launch pad for other expressions of the kingdom. And so we empower leaders to do that, whether pastors, especially, and it's a, the beauty, beautiful thing is it's a lay led movement. It's people that are mm -hmm. not clergy, not ordained, not licensed, they're working full-time jobs or um, full-time home with their kids or whatever it may be and empowering them to do that ministry and to become those shepherds of these fresh expressions of church. I love it. It's so needed. I, it's one of the things I think I've struggled with, especially over the last few years and some of the frustration I've had with, if you really have this call you know, to ministry, pastoral ministry, are you willing to do whatever it takes, you know, this, and that means, um, that might mean working a second job, right? Or it might mean working a full-time job and you find fresh expression, fresh expressions of the church is how you work out your work out or leave out, live out your ministry. And you have to be willing to get your hands dirty and we sanctified it so much, you know, that it's just, we've made it you know, write this sermon, teach this Bible study. And man, ministry is so much, so much more than that. People yeah. should, people should talk about you behind your back at some point, right. And say, oh my goodness, they're eating with sinners and tax collectors. Like if we're right. really doing it right. I don't know, I guess maybe if you'd speak into some of that. Yeah. And, and even just as far as the, you know, credentialing of pastors and, you know, I'm not in charge of those things, but <laughs> There is a sense, I think there's a, the Holy Spirit is doing something even beyond our structures right now. Yeah. And there, um, you know, of course, COVID, this world has taken a huge change, a huge shift, and it's not going back. Um, to use that language is, a, is folly. And part of it is even our structuring of calling. The beautiful thing about what's happening even in the UK is that they are, you know, we ordain elders, pastors, deacons, but um, this is in the Anglican church, but they actually commission pioneers. Uh, it's almost a say a way to say your calling is legitimate. It's something different and it's needed. Mm -hmm. And the expansion of the, the kingdom is happening on the fringes and on the margins, not in the center, not in our attractional model churches to say, if you build it, they'll come. If I put a sign out front, if I have a, a fun, some fun event or festival, people will join us on Sunday. Even if you have the best coffee, the best worship, the best preacher, people, there's such a disconnect, such, such a distance between you want to say secular people and church. And mm -hmm. for the first time in centuries, we're witnessing people don't have a church memory at all, meaning that they never grew up in church. So it's not a matter of bringing them back. 
It's not saying, oh, remember that, that great experience you had as a little kid or how grandma took you or they have none of that. And also right. the second piece of it is their parents haven't had that. So we're having two generations removed from any experience of church. Yep. So that's a total different place than we would say even just a couple, a decade, two decades ago that we had at least there was some kind of touch with, okay, yeah. Oh yeah. My grandma went there or, oh, I went to funerals there. Like we don't hold, most people don't have funerals in a church anymore. Mm -hmm. They don't have weddings in a church anymore. They might have a pastor because they need to, because of the state requirements or a friend, but that's, that's kind of it. So the connection is lost. So, so our way of evangelism needs to change. And that's, that means connecting on people's turf. Um, right. Church buildings, places, it's a strange world. You know, I describe like to people, well, you know, if you drove by, you know, this explain to a, a Christian to say, well, why won't they just come? Um, if you drove by a mosque, would you be inclined to go and join them for worship? You would say, oh, that's, you know, that's what they do. You know, right. that's nice, whatever. I hope that they would, you know, you know Jesus is the Lord and Savior, whatever. But it's a foreign world to you. You wouldn't know what to expect in a in one of their times of worship. You wouldn't right. know what to do or what not to do. You would just know it's not you. Mm-hmm. And that's how people see our churches. And you wouldn't even know if you were allowed to go in. Exactly. Yeah. Am I allowed? Yeah. You know, you know what? That's so funny, Joanne. So that you bring that up because I met this that one of our neighbors in my community here. And she it's funny because she started this like walking club thing, which is really, really cool. You know, and she, she and I were like texting back and forth and, you know, she's not a church person, religious person by any means. She said, you know, I'm seeking community. And she said, if I were religious, I would go to your church, but I'm not. Oh my gosh. Like, you know, we had like banners outside. Like I'm going to get like snowmen for like, you know, Christmas and kind of stuff. And I'm like, and I'm just like not a churchy type person, but here's somebody that's how many people see it. It's like, well, that's where the religious people go. I'm not that. So. Mm-mm. Yeah. 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 I'm probably not allowed. And I, I, yeah, if I'm not a believer, if I don't follow this or whatever, then I'm probably not welcome. Yeah. Um, and it's just a, it's just a total different way to think about it. And even just how we talk about church, how we talk about Jesus. A lot of times it's, it's very cut off. It's very distant from where people are. Even using yeah. the term sin, salvation, do we commonly use those in everyday language? Mm-mm. No. I, I know a guy that was invited um, by a friend of mine to his church on Sunday. It was like one of his first experiences. He like talked to him at my friend afterwards and was like, why were you all singing about blood? Right. Yeah. He said, it was kind of freaky. He's like, why are you singing about blood? Like, do you like blue vampire stuff? Like that was his connection. Like he leg- and it wasn't like a joke. He legitimately right. was like, this is weird. You know, without that context, without an understanding, like, mm-hmm church and even Jesus can be this kind of far off, like, Ooh, like, I don't know about that type thing. We make it difficult. So that's where fresh expressions comes in. It's going to where people are on their turf by their means when they are ready and starting with that listening, you know, we don't go in with a premeditated idea to say, I want to start this kind of like church thing, or this is what it's going to look like. And we're going to do this, this, and this. But it's just starting out with the easy thing of listening, listening to the Holy Spirit, listening to people, listening to the heartbeat of your community, and then going from there and imagining, well, what could church look like in this context for this people? Yeah. And that language is so important. important. And even for those of us in the proclamation setting, one of my unchurched families had said to me, this was several years ago, said, okay, who is this? What is the deal with this lamb? We keep singing about this lamb, you know? Yeah. And there was, so there's no context for them. And, and we do that with a lot of things, not even just biblical images with, uh, I talk about, we love our acronyms, don't we? Nobody knows what about NYI? Are you going to the NYI or the yeah, NYI no, convention? What's, what's, what's an NYI or, what? or an NMI? Yeah, I know. I was attending for like a year before I finally figured out all the acronyms and then they changed them. So it was like, cause that was right when they went switched over to NMI and NYI. Oh, and wow. I'm like, wait, now we have n- new acronyms to learn. I don't even understand this. Like I'm lost. <laughs> Two things I wanted to ask you. One was you used the term pioneer. So I, yeah. I'm guessing you took that, is that that's fresh expressions of Mike Green, Mike Green stuff. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Somebody uh, mentioned that to me recently because we were talking about it and they were talking about pioneers and settlers. I don't know how much you know about it, but if you want to talk any more about that idea of pioneers and settlers. Yeah. So in Fresh Expressions, yeah, we don't necessarily talk about settlers, but it's um, like the pioneer is basically the apostle and the fivefold gifting right. yeah. and, and how over time we've kind of, uh, we, we've pushed the apostles down Mm -hmm. and said no don't do that like you know we need more shepherds we need more teachers and church has become as you're saying the proclamation church has become about shepherding and teaching and so we've elevated those gifts by and suppressed the other gifts whereas where we find ourselves now we're in such a need of our prophets evangelists and apostles our Mm -hmm. pioneers to yeah. um to venture outward because the world is 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 not headed in the other direction there's fewer and fewer people to shepherd and to teach um so it's kind of that flip-flop that needs to happen mm-hmm. so yeah so we talk about the pioneers as being the person the leader the spearhead of a fresh expression of church but just because you're not a pioneer also doesn't mean that you can't be involved with fresh ex- a fresh expression of church or you can't be a part of one that there are other roles. There's a permission giver. And then there's also what we call a supporter in a support role. And all three are critical that we need a permission giver basically to have the back of the pioneer. A lot of times the pastor, the pastor in most cases is not the pioneer if they're the permission giver. Sometimes they're both like me, like you, like several of our fresh expression staff that we do both. And that's just who we are. But um, most of the time, that's not the case but we need a permission yeah. giver for us, you know, to, would tend to be a district superintendent or uh, someone in our congregation that will have basically have our backs and support us and cheer us on and help the work go forward. Um, but then the other piece is the supporter, which we neglect a lot, are the teammates, the people come yeah. alongside, even the old saints of the church to be praying, to pray, mm-hmm. be praying daily for the Lord of the harvest, you know, for laborers for the harvest and be praying for the work you're doing. Um, other support um, people like, you know, for dinner church might be the cooks. You know, we're like on my team when we started dinner church, I, I'm not one to make meals and figure out how much food to get for a hundred people. Like, yeah, right. I just don't like, I could try and it, my brain would like be fried and I have a headache afterwards, but she's great at it. And she's fantastic. And so she's a, in a support role for this, but it, she makes it happen. So without her, you know, I am the pioneer. I'm the one that's connecting people and making, uh, organ, organizing and, and having some of our, our team become integrated. And, um, but she's the one that makes the food and you can't have dinner church without food. So that's also a piece like for people that are like, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm not a pioneer. I don't start things, whatever. We'll rally around a pioneer mm-hmm. and use your gifts to help support what their needs are. So I, I think that's really, it, it takes the burden off to say, okay, well, I'm not this. So therefore I can't be a part of it. And, and that's how we have, you know, multiple churches that have started multiple fresh expressions of church because people have really grown into and stepped into that, that calling in that role. Right. Yeah. And just like, we can't have only shepherds and teachers. We mm-hmm. can't only have, you know, people starting stuff. <laughs> Somebody has to help support mm-hmm. it. And then also, so I, like you're saying, to take it to the next level too. Yeah, to take it Mature. to the next level. The pandemic hit where I knew I'm like, oh, I see, I see what's happening. And then, of course, I went out to Seattle and did four days with Rhythm Foster for the dinner church. Um, but she's like, I think you're the first Nazarene we've had out here. I mean, not in in the dinner church thing, but I think you in were. Seattle. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, well, I'll try to send more like sitting and he spent the first whatever well you know because you've been through these he spends yeah, like the first two three days just laying out the theology and philosophy of ministry like the whole time I'm like oh this is so good and like so much what I needed and like sit and I'm sitting there and I'm listening to him and I'm like felt that all that uh, the apostle in me just like come to out to life nice <laughs> Then of course the world caught on fire. So, but I love what you said about the permission giver. And I think that's so true, especially for women clergy. I think 
we need both men and women speaking into our lives, giving us permission because we haven't seen that example. We haven't seen the example. So we need men and women speaking into our lives, giving us permission to take your apostolic gifts, take your prophetic gifts, your evangelistic gifts and start some new works and be a pioneer. And we have trained our women clergy so much with the teacher shepherd that I think that there are a lot of women clergy out there who think there's teacher shepherds, but they're actually apostle prophets, evangelists. And if somebody would just give them permission to lean into those gifts, we would just, we would see so many new works. Like, you know, I I think we're struggling so much because we're not utilizing like 50% of the team is sitting on the bench, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And even in our churches, it's funny because the, um, usually the most effective pioneers are the troublemakers or the pew sitters, right? People that are stirring up trouble because they just changed this and then you can't get them to do that. And they like, and you're like racking your brain and when you would release them and not like release, like get out of here, release, but we're sending you like, you have full permission to experiment and have church in your basement with your neighbors. Like we're going to bless it instead of being Mm -hmm. like, no, you need to bring them here. And you know, or, or the pew sitters, the people that you've asked to be on five committees or to help with flowers or to serve with the youth ministry. And they've just either said no, or they've ghosted you. And, um, that's who I found actually to be my best launch team members to tell you the truth where people, we could not get to do anything. And I'm like, well, do you want to be a part of this? And they're like, sure. Right. (laughs) You know, cause it was an adventure. It's like, okay, you get to be a missionary and sleep in your own bed. So that was just a huge, a huge piece. But I think you're right. It's just, it's giving people permission to really live out and live into their calling and to experiment and to fail. Right. I mean, I can't tell you, we don't celebrate failure. Failure means you tried and you found one more way it doesn't work. And, but also you did something that others, most people are not doing. So I'll will you amen to that. Um, Yeah. But let's, let's do it. Because failure is a part of the work. Um, yeah. Let's not be afraid of it. Let's celebrate. Let's permission give all we need to, because at some point there's going to be fruit. There's going to be effectiveness. Yeah, we do really need to cultivate that atmosphere of experimentation. But if you're going to cultivate experimentation and you want people to be innovative, you have to let them fail. Yes. If you're going to punish them, you know, if you're going to, if there's going to be retribution every time they fail, then people are not going to want to experiment. They're not going to want to be innovative. Um, and so we have to find a, a way to create that. We're doing the church in action, which is similar to fresh expressions. And, you know, they, they made this, they were talking about some of the things that they were doing in Germany and other places in Europe, you know, and I thought, all right, now how do we deal with that here? Like, you know, whatever they started a ministry and a bar or something like that um a couple of different places that here like if you did that your ds is getting a phone call right like your leadership your district leadership is getting a phone call because you experimented and you tried something innovative and so now what what's the system we're going to put in place where we're going to balance this we're going to we're going to give people permission to really be pioneers and be innovative Um, And then how are you going to create that safe environment and community that says, it's okay if you try it and it it fails, right? Even like we, when we started our dinner church a year ago, uh, the, the original person who was going to, who's going to be the dinner church uh, shepherd, you know, he did it for like four months. And at the end of four or five months, he, you know, he comes to me, he's just like, I I hate this. Like, it's not me. You know, he's like, I mean, he's like, I love being with the people and stuff, but leading this, he's like, this is not my place to be. And I'm like, that's fine. That's why you try, you try stuff, you try it and figure it it out. Yeah. And you're like, I don't like this. This is not me. This is not connecting with me spiritually. So I'm going to try something else. I'm like, that's not a failure. That's just, this is how you find where your place is. You experiment over here and then you experiment over here. Yeah. And that's all, it's a part of the journey. And that's where I think that like going back to permission giver is so crucial because um, you're the person that sets the, the tone and the, the cultivates the culture for that to happen. Yeah. 
because I know your your background's Catholic. We already talked about it that. Is. So maybe just share, when did you come to faith? And then how did you sense God calling you to ministry? Like, did your Catholic background and did your Catholic background hinder that, help that? Yeah, for me, it's only been a help. So, um, so I always like people that like diss the Catholic church. I'm like, no way, like, please don't do that because I credit that a lot. And even to this day, I, uh, one of my former CCD, you know, Sunday school teachers, um, she, she receives my, I write these like Advent and Lent devotions. And so she's still in touch. Her husband has passed since passed away. But, um, but I just thank her so much for investing in so many children, including me and helping me my faith. So, yes, yeah, so I grew up Catholic and um, pretty devout Catholic. So we went to mass every week together as a family. And even through high school, like my brother and I would go together if we had a school event or something that hindered us on Sunday for whatever reason. And it was also where I grew up too, outside of Philadelphia, very Catholic area. So I went to, it was kind of like 50, 50 Catholic and Jewish. So I went to more bar and bat mitzvahs and confirmations than most people did or have it wasn't until like i my first career if you want to call it that in marine science that um i moved to the eastern shore of maryland pursue a master's degree in environmental science and was doing research i, I had not gone to church for quite a while after that um during that time and it wasn't that i didn't believe uh, I, I can't actually remember a time that I like don't believe that like Jesus is who he said he was. It just right. didn't make a difference in my life. Mm-hmm. You know, there wasn't a time that I was like, oh, I don't really believe that or whatever. It was like, no, I believe he's the son of God and I would pray. And, but it was kind of like, I'm a spectator and religion's just something that like you do. And it's just a matter of what you mentally assent to. So I'm, when I moved to Maryland was when I started to experiment with different churches and trying out things. And that also helped, has helped me as a, a planter too, because I realized what it feels like to be an outsider completely, not know oh, what yeah. people are doing, totally confused if, and lost. <laughs> and it actually was a, a lady at the lab I was working at. She started a fresh expression of church at lunchtime in the lab facility. Nice. And that was where I reconnected and also discovered that there's more to faith in Jesus than just, you know, going to church or just saying, yeah, he's the son of God and that's it type thing. I get to go to heaven. And so that was where that, like, I guess my faith came alive. And then from there, I connected with the non-denominational church that I started talking about where I felt called to ministry it, I, I don't have a, I'm one of those people that doesn't have a moment. And I would assume that probably most of the disciples didn't have a moment either um, <laughs> that they started following before they actually figured out. And um, I have a, like a time gap that somewhere in between there, I look back in the rear view and I say, yeah, you know, that was when that my uh, personal faith in Christ came to life and, and arose. And I have no doubt of that. Uh, still going to our fresh expression and actually took the lead on that when the lady who was leading it couldn't anymore before I even knew what fresh expressions were like I said these things kind of happened by the Holy Spirit and I started to attend a you know proclamation Sunday morning church with with the non-denominational church and um, about a year or so after that down the road I just started feeling dissatisfaction just in life and my job and what I was doing and trying just that unsettled feeling and I started to read scripture more and more and pray and get this this is kind of funny I um this is a a church that didn't believe in women in ministry I accidentally preached at a communion service (laughs) yeah so I felt like God wanted me to speak and I did and I didn't get in trouble for it or whatever but um the people at that service like laid hands and prayed for me and um and that was where I I sensed almost almost an audible voice of god to say this is what you're called to do this is it yeah i guess so it's been a journey it's been a journey lots of ups and downs and lots of fruit along the way so um yeah it's pretty exciting (laughs) and i wouldn't i wouldn't trade it in for anything that's cool my husband his testimony would be similar in the fact that he he can't you know point to a time and a place as much as a a revealing you know over a period of time yes and of course, that makes it challenging for us, right? Because we want to count everything. Um, oh, yeah. And, and what do you do when you have 
uh, a huge chunk of your congregation where they're like, you know, God revealed himself to them over a period of time. And you're like, well, let's see how many people came to faith this year. Well, they've grown and they've grown it. Right. You know, uh, where do you put that? Yeah. In your annual pastor's report. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like, like Hirsch talks about with like the centered set bounded, bounded set, you know, right. it's more about what direction are you going? Mm-hmm. Um, are you headed towards the well? Or are you stationary or way? And that's what I tend to try to look at. And that's where like even discipleship comes in. So, so important. Because as you're being intentional about helping people, creating environments for people to grow. Right. Yes, I know. One of the things I tell my congregation is our job is to dig enough wells that eventually somebody falls in it. Yes, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) Let's do it. We can't make them drink. But if we if we dig enough wells, eventually they'll fall in one. I love that. I mean, you've got we've got so much good stuff here. But I I always I do like to kind of close with just a word of encouragement or advice, anything you might have for women clergy who, uh, and normally I would say are uh, wrestling with a call to ministry, but maybe wrestling with a call to start a new work or a fresh expression. I guess it would be simple. Like just go do it. Don't wait for somebody to tell you to do it or that you're allowed to do it or that um, they're going to sign off on you. You'll wait around forever. So you just take the lead, surround yourself with people that have been there, done that. Those of us like, you know, like yourself and, and, and me, like, you know, find people that you jive with and that you connect with and even have similar callings in some way, but don't hold back. Like, you know, God made us to step out. And the good thing about like a denomination is especially our accountability and structure mm-hmm. But sometimes those things can become a hindrance um, and, you know, and district superintendents know that we know that like the process sometimes can become a hindrance to people doing ministry or doing kingdom work. And it's a blessing when you have someone that supports that has your back as that permission giver. But if you just wait on everybody else, you're going to be a hundred years old by the time you <laughs> finally get a head nod. So, right. So. So just, just go do it. Surround yourself with people that can cheer you on and support that. Find your people. I like that. That's good advice. I like that. Find your people. So we're just going to say, this is Chris and Joanne saying you have permission. You do. Do we're it. giving you permission. Do it. <laughs> do it. And we want to hear. So, yes. so send, us, send us a DM or something and say you did it. Well, congratulations again on your new assignment right? Thank you. I yeah. thought you were going to say bounce house <laughs> Yeah, and your new bounce house too. That's really more important. I'm just so but... excited about this thing. I'm like, yeah, I can't be, wait. To, I'm going to be the first to bounce and we're in t- on TikTok, you know? So oh, yeah. I'm like, yeah, yeah. Our church is probably one of the few. Um, yeah. I don't find My... many. I haven't found many on it. And I have like 12 year olds teaching me how to use it. So that's even better. Yeah. But once again, just try stuff, do it. Like you, yeah. know, you fall flat on your face. You have no idea. Like it's okay. Let laugh. Life's too short. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. My daughter's like, mom, you're not allowed to get on TikTok. You will fall into the, into the I abyss know. and never climb out. But I'm like, whatever I'm do next, I might have to get on TikTok. So we'll you see. I have to. And also a little supervision, right? Just in case. No. Definitely. <laughs> and she will She will definitely have to supervise me, yes. Yeah, restricted mode, yes. <laughs> For sure. 